Today on Sexually Woke with Dr. Susan, I'm speaking with Dr. Rupal Mather, who's an expert in weight loss. She has her own company here in Houston called Lifelong Weight Loss, and she is a Harvard-trained internal medicine doctor. Thanks for joining me on this week's episode of Sexually Woke with me, Dr. Susan, and I'm really excited to be joined today by a good friend of mine and colleague, Dr. Rupal Mather. She is a weight loss expert and a real live doctor. I'll just brag on her a little bit. She uh, went to a great medical school, just like me, Baylor College of Medicine, and then completed her internal medicine training at Harvard, so real doctor, and she has decided to specialize in weight loss. And she has a company here in Houston called Lifelong Weight Loss, appropriately named because it really works. So hi, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Um, It's been a pleasure getting to know you and I love what you do. I completely respect, you know, I see a lot of women between 40 and, and 70 really, who really struggle with weight loss, but also struggle with, um, libido and, um, you know, hot flashes and, it and all there's goes no place, together. Yeah, and there's no place for them to go. So I love that you have a home for them. Well, um, you and I have developed this great relationship where we have a lot of patients in common because the probably number one most common complaint that I hear when my perimenopausal and menopausal patients come in is that they're gaining weight. It seems to be just almost universal. And I'll, I'll just say to our listeners that when patients take my advice and go to see RuPaul, they always lose the weight 100% of the time. And I get all these amazing emails about, oh my gosh, thank you. The weight's finally coming off. So tell me your story a little bit. Like, you know, you went to Harvard, you could have done anything in the world. Like, why did you decide to focus on weight loss medicine? Like, what was the passion there? Sure. So um, I did internal medicine training. So that's general adult medicine. And I did practice primary care for two or three years out of residency. Um, but you know, all of the medical problems that we take care of in primary care, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, joint pain, um, everything is tied back to weight Mm -hmm. and patients always would ask me for help. I mean, I think it's wonderful that people are reaching out to their physicians and asking them, um, or acknowledging, yes, doc, I know I need to lose weight. Can you tell me how? And, there's no time to address that in, you know, 15-minute um, office visit. There's also a lack of training um, amongst most physicians on um, how to help patients lose weight, how to do it in um, a compassionate manner, how to identify with the struggles that patients go through, and how to develop an individualized plan for each person. So um, I didn't have any of that training or background, but I desperately wanted to help my patients address the root cause of their medical problems rather than just keeping throwing medications at the problem. So um, I went and got some training through the Obesity Medicine Association and um, loved it and um, have always had a passion for nutrition. So, um, you know, kind of combined obesity medicine, um, formal training with my background, with my personal passion for nutrition and decided to go out on my own and start a practice because there was nowhere that I could send my patients for help when they asked me. So I decided I would be that person to help them. Um, my personal story as well, I am thin, I'm, I'm small framed, but my parents both have diabetes. Mm -hmm. I'm South Asian. And so we are very prone to what's called metabolic syndrome, which is that excess fat around the belly, um, that predisposition to diabetes, to high blood pressure, to high cholesterol. And so when I was, I think I want to say 27, 
I had routine labs checked, and there was my hemoglobin A1C um, in the prediabetes range. It's a blood sugar test. Um, very surprising results given, you know, my frame. And um, and so, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. You never know mm-hmm. what's going on in someone's body. And um, so then I had to kind of look at my lifestyle and figure out, wow, what the heck um, has happened? Well, you know, I've got that genetic predisposition, but also I was eating the wrong foods, just terrible foods. Um, lots of uh, plant-based foods, but you know what's plant-based is Oreos and, mm, yeah. and Fritos. <laughs> that's right. Um, you know, There's and, a lot of fat vegetarians. That's right. Yeah. I, I'm, I have a plant-based diet too, and it's not always the healthiest. I, you know, I love your story, and I wish more physicians would approach medicine from this wellness aspect rather than the sickness aspect, because I, I had mm-hmm. the same experience in traditional gynecology that just sort of felt like we were putting band-aids mm-hmm. over all these illnesses and not really getting to the root cause, which often was weight. And I know in my practice, I there was almost a culture of being afraid to talk about it. We didn't want to offend the patient, mm-hmm. even by suggesting that they needed to lose weight. And mm-hmm. there was an understanding that we didn't really have time to get into it. I didn't really know what to say. So I'd just say, well, go to Weight Watchers or join Jenny Craig or something. Mm-hmm. It wasn't very useful. And then when I found you, um, my practice just started sending all about patients to you mm-hmm. and saw finally they could get results because they had an individualized program. So what's different about your program? What would a patient expect if they called your office and came to see you as a patient? Why does it work? Well, I think a big part of it is the individualized approach, as you mentioned, but that requires time. So the initial consultation with me is 90 minutes. It takes Mm -hmm. a long time for me to get to know the person's um, struggles, their background. Um, You know, some of my patients have been struggling with their weight since childhood. Many times I get that response. But sometimes it is, you know, post-pregnancy, post-menopause. And so we have to first identify when did the problem start? And then we have to identify, um, well, what is causing the difficulty with weight loss. Is it, um, you know, perimenopause and difficulty with the hormones or is it insulin resistance, which is a predisposition to diabetes or carbohydrate sensitivity? Or is it simply that they're just overeating calories and not understanding where those are coming from because they're eating a lot of healthy foods? <laughs> healthy foods are great, but mm. in, in high quantities still prevent weight loss. So it's a very individualized approach based on the person's history with their weight, based on what they've tried before, and then based on their blood work, which tells us a lot about their sensitivities to um, certain types of foods. So whether it's carbohydrates or whether it's fats in the diet, Um, We take a look at everything for that individual. And then I also approach it from a lifestyle standpoint. You know, what type of an eating plan would work well for your lifestyle? Because if I give you a plan that you can't stick to, then it's not going to be successful. So um, all of that is not something that you can get just by logging online and, you know, getting a cookie cutter plan um, or even using something like Weight Watchers or Jenny Craig. You just don't get that individualized approach or um, level of attention. And so I think that's what, um, you know, helps all of my patients lose weight. I get asked that question a lot. Well, what's your weight loss success? What percentage of your patients lose weight? And I always say 100%. Right. Uh, If you do it, it'll work. Yes. Right? Yes. So I know because I've actually been a patient of yours in the past, um, the plan that you developed for me, I I have, uh, like everybody, have some special needs, so to say. Like I have a plant-based diet and I do a certain amount of exercise. Uh, Your plan for me was very protein-based. Is that something that, uh, you know, we see all these things, all these there's always something new, it seems like, is the latest 
fad or piece of news, but do, is it true that, you know, the high protein, low carbohydrates is still the answer for almost everybody or is there a different answer for different people or? Most of my patients do well with low carb. And then the protein intake depends on their body composition analysis, which is um, a machine. You have one in your office and I have one in mine where we get to take a look at how much of the patient's weight is muscle mass. And so based on their muscle mass, that's how we develop the protein requirements. So I wouldn't say it's high protein necessarily because um, I have had patients tell me, oh, my trainer recommended that I eat 200 grams of protein a day, which if you don't know, you know, anything about protein, that's a lot of protein. Mm, that's that's a lot. very hard to eat. And it's a lot for, of calories. To it's get a ton of calories. Yeah. And for women, it's not necessary. So mm. it's not necessarily a high protein intake. It's adequate protein based on their muscle mass. Um, and yes, protein, you may have heard burns more calories than other types of foods. What that means is when we digest protein, we burn calories in that digestion process. We have to break up that protein into its building blocks called amino acids. And that process requires some energy, requires some calories. So it's great when you're eating protein, you are burning some calories versus eating fat, uh, car fat and carbohydrates, you know, burning calories doing that. So yes, it's Great to have adequate amount of protein so that you can burn a few extra calories. You can maintain your muscle mass while you're losing body fat. Um, but uh, it's not necessarily high protein. And then also it does depend on the individual's goal. So I will say many women that I see have adequate muscle mass, and so we don't need to build muscle. But if there is someone who, you know, maybe has been vegetarian their whole life and never, like me, never really focused on what they were eating as long as it was meat-free, then they may not have been eating adequate protein. So they may have low muscle mass, in which case I'll recommend a little bit higher quantity. Or if I have a male patient where they're trying to build muscle, then yes, we, we will, I will encourage a little bit higher protein intake. Um, you know, someone athletic like you, Susan, who, um, you know, does triathlons. Yes, you need more, more protein. So again, it's individualized, but yes, I would say in general, it's going to be lower carb for most people, adequate protein, and then enough of the healthy fats. Um, and yes, some fats are good. So, mm -hmm. you know, we don't have to eliminate all fats altogether either. So people are scared, in my experience, of getting on a nutrition plan because they think they're just going to be hungry and it's going to be suffering and it's going to be hard. And so sometimes when I'll, uh, you know, encourage patients to have a, a established program like yours, uh, they're afraid. You know, they think, oh, this is going to be awful. She's going to make me starve or eat milkshakes or <laughs> something, and it's going to be painful. But that hasn't really been my experience when I've heard patients who've gone through mm -hmm. your program. You can eat a lot of food, mm -hmm. right? It's not, mm -hmm. it yeah. should never be hungry. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And again, it depends on the individual. I mean, for some of my patients from a lifestyle perspective, they like having protein bars and shakes and then a meal at the end of the day because that's so easy for them. Um, and other patients want to eat whole foods and that's the way that we develop our plan. Other patients prefer doing more of an intermittent fasting approach. And so, you know, it does depend on what the person is looking for. I will tailor the program to what they think will fit best with their lifestyle. And then in terms of feeling hungry, absolutely. I don't want my patients to be feeling hungry and miserable. That's not um, sustainable for anyone. And so, um, you know, sometimes it, it will develop a plan that's based on um, heavy protein intake to prevent hunger. Um, oftentimes I will use a weight loss medication and appetite suppressant to help with that. And 
People think of weight loss medications as a crutch, but really they're not. They're a tool that we have in our toolbox because your body should not be sending signals to you that you're hungry all day when you have all this energy stored away in the form of your fat cells, right? So why is your body telling you to eat when you've got plenty of calories stored away? And so that's a dysfunction of your metabolism. That's a dysregulation of your hormones that are regulating hunger and um, fullness and weight. And so what we're doing with the medications is restoring that balance. I always compare it to antidepressants. You know, a lot of people have had to take a medicine for their mental health, antidepressants or anti-anxiety medicines. And those also help rebalance your neurohormones. And so that's what we're doing from the weight loss standpoint too, is rebalancing those hormones. So sometimes that excess hunger is just because your hormones are out of whack. And so Mm. that's what the weight loss medications are addressing. It's not because we're putting you on a starvation diet or, you know, um, and oftentimes that hunger doesn't manifest until maybe two or three months down the road until you've lost 15 or 20 pounds. And then my patients will tell me, you know, I wasn't really feeling hungry before, but now all of a sudden I'm starting to feel hungry. I'm eating the same. Why? Well, because the human body is programmed to put on weight. And Mm. when we lose weight, it's programmed to tell you to eat to regain that weight. That's why so many women are not able to keep the weight off. And so that's sometimes where we really need the medicine is because now your body is starting to rebel a little bit, you know, yeah. wants to regain that weight. Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting idea, isn't it? Because that ancient part of our brain is wanting to gain weight for survival, you know, exactly. to have extra fat to survive a long winter mm-hmm. or something like that. So is it true? Do you Do you think it's true that that gets more pronounced as we get older? Because I see, and I'm sure you do too, that there's almost this universal experience that we get fatter around the middle. And if you just look at the shape of women as we age, that's uh, indisputable. You know, we get more fat around the middle. We tend to lose muscle from our extremities. And that leads to all of those diseases that we know happen, the metabolic syndrome and all of the things. But uh, fat gain around the middle, I think, is an evolutionary thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's to help us survive. And it's really difficult to get rid of that fat, isn't it? Because that's the hardest part to lose. Yes. So what what do we do about that? Because that's uh, something that I hear every day. Um, even if the scale hasn't changed significantly, mm-hmm. just this shift in body fat that tends to favor the midsection. Mm-hmm. Why, do, why do you think that happens and yeah. what can we do about it? Yeah, multiple reasons. I mean, so as you mentioned, evolutionarily, women when they're starting to enter perimenopause, the ovaries are not making as much estrogen, right, as they once were. And so that's where you come in and you help patients by giving them estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone if they need it. But um, the fat tissue, the fat cells, adipose cells, they produce these hormones. And so what your body is doing is encouraging you to have excess body fat deposition so that that fat can take up some of the hormone production that your ovaries are no longer making. But the problem is that that fat also is now related to metabolic conditions, high cholesterol, diabetes. So we don't want those excess fat stores that we're evolutionarily programmed to gain in the perimenopause phase. And so, yes, that's a very normal thing to struggle with is weight gain around this time. Now, why is it depositing around the midsection? So that is because many people, as they get older, develop what's called insulin resistance, which means Mm -hmm. that they are very sensitive to the carbohydrates in their diet. And so even if they, you know, even if you've always been eating two eggs and a piece of toast for breakfast and, um, you know, a salad for lunch and, uh, you know, chicken and asparagus and brown rice for dinner, 
for the last 10 years. And then all of a sudden you turn 40 and something happens and, mm-hmm. whoa, I'm eating all the same foods and now I'm gaining weight and it's all in my midsection. What happened? Well, it's because now you've developed this insulin resistance over time. Your body just doesn't metabolize carbs like it used to. And so um, you do have to decrease the carbohydrate intake. We don't have to eliminate them completely. We don't have to do keto. But for most women, we want to reduce the carbohydrate intake to help address the insulin resistance. And I say for most women because it's not every woman. And so I do check blood work um, to help us identify which women are struggling with insulin resistance. But that is a common reason. So if you have excess fat deposition around the midsection, that is very commonly because of that insulin resistance that develops over time. Mm -hmm. Another thing I see happen so much uh, as we get closer to menopause is insomnia or sleep deprivation. And we know that elevates cell cortisol. So what does cortisol do? Like that's that's another, that's a stress mm-hmm. hormone that yes. again, evolutionarily, I think our bodies feel like something terrible is going to happen. Mm-hmm. So we start storing fat. Is that what yeah. you see? Yes, yes, exactly. Yes. Cortisol is our stress hormone and it's natural to have some low level of cortisol, but you're right. As we age and we struggle with sleep, um, you know, that uh, sleep deprivation can increase cortisol. Also, you know, being a mom, if you stress, have kids, or yeah. being a, a hardworking, you know, professional woman, or whatever it is, stress. Exactly. Yeah, I think forty-five-ish uh, is is one of those times where everything sort of comes together. Our, often our kids are getting older or leaving, or our parents might be sick and dying. Our careers are changing. There's a whole bunch of things happening in our sort of forty to fifty mm-hmm. age at the same time as our hormones are changing. And we talk about those things on this podcast a lot. But yeah, I don't know of anyone. It'd be so exceptional to find someone who hasn't had a whole bunch of stress in mm-hmm. that in that age because it's just a time when these things happen. So it feels like a whole bunch of things are attacking us at the same time, I think, when it comes to our weight. Mm-hmm. And the vast majority, I mean, with very few exceptions, patients who come to see me, that's one of their complaints, if not the primary one. One thing I wanted to pick up on that you mentioned was about intermittent fasting because mm-hmm. there's so much... Uh, conversation about that. And I don't think I really understand the science behind that. Can you explain it a little bit about why that works for some people? Right. Yeah. And for some people, I agree, I think is the key term. So intermittent fasting overall, for most people is another approach to calorie restriction. So I'll start out by saying that there's for most people, there's not too much magic about intermittent fasting. What it's doing is just it's serving as a vehicle to restrict your calories. So if you're, you know, daily intermittent fasting for 16 hours, meaning not eating between dinner and lunch, let's say for 16 hours, um, that is restricting the calories that you would normally eat at breakfast. And so that allows you to lose weight. Um, You know, if you're doing a longer fast, then you're restricting more calories. So for most people, I use intermittent fasting just as a, um, as a different approach to a calorie restricted diet. Some of my women like to have, a small breakfast, a small lunch, a snack, and a, and, a, and a dinner. And that's how they like to eat. Some other of my patients, a lot of my women who are working and very busy um, and don't have time to stop, some of them prefer to do intermittent fasting because it's one less meal they have to pl- prep and plan for. Um, and so, you know, it's a lifestyle approach um, for for many women that they enjoy, but other people, you know, they, they don't like it. They feel, um, that, you know, they're hungry and it's making them hangry. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I have some approaches, some techniques that I suggest to prevent the hangry. 
and, and not just weight loss medications, but just, you know, having certain things in your day, um, you know, some caffeine, some broth, something like that to help with that. But um, so that's how I use intermittent fasting. There's some new data suggesting, okay, maybe, you know, intermittent fasting helps us more with um, blood sugar regulation or cholesterol regulation. But I don't think that's really panned out in a lot of the studies. Mm-hmm. So, um Again, you know, it's just another approach um, to weight loss that works for some people and doesn't work for others. So I don't think there's anything wrong with it. There's a lot of um, people who are naysayers against it because we've been told for so many years that, um, you know, eat breakfast, it gets your metabolism going. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard sure, that too. Yeah. That's interesting because we grew up our culture that you should eat five small meals a day mm-hmm. and that prolonged periods of starvation would slow your metabolism uh-huh. down. And so I had that sort of etched into my brain. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. hearing about skipping breakfast felt very counter to like, whoa, that's not what I'd learned. Right. Right. And um, in fact, that doesn't seem to be the case. It mm-hmm. doesn't seem that meal skipping slows down metabolism because what it does is it activates that fight or flight response that you alluded to earlier, but not the cortisol, um, the um, adrenaline. So mm-hmm. epinephrine um, is the medical term for adrenaline, but we get a little bit of um, adrenaline release when we go prolonged periods of time without eating. Um, and that can actually boost your metabolism. So sometimes mm. I use intermittent fasting as a way to break through a weight loss plateau. It just depends on the person and what they've been doing and making a change to um, reinvigorate their metabolism. But it doesn't seem to um, knock it down in any way unless you're doing extremely long fasts. So what we've seen in the studies is that if you do a fast that's longer than 72 hours, we're talking three days of not eating, then, yes, we start seeing that cortisol release. Um, we start seeing our metabolism drop because our body is going into conservation mode. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't want to do a, a fast that long. But a 16-hour fast, a 24-hour fast, it's okay. It's not going to slow down your metabolism. And for many women, it can help them balance their day to where, you know, if they're eating dinner with their family or they're socializing with their friends and they know that they're going to be eating a large amount of their calories at that time, then they can fast the rest of the day and kind of offset that a little bit. Um, you know, again, it's an individualized approach. It doesn't work for every woman. Some women have been doing some form of intermittent fasting their whole life. Some women have been skipping meals forever. A lot of us have. Yes, yeah. as a way to lose weight. And then guess what? It doesn't work if you've been doing mm. that forever. Yeah, you're not really shocking or tricking exactly. your body into something different. Yeah. I heard there was an interesting comment. I had a guest a few weeks ago, uh, Rachel Gower, who's a uh, patient actually, and she was talking about her success with intermittent fasting. And one of her comments about it was that it just gave her a sense of control over food, which I really like. Because you had mentioned just one less meal to prepare, um, which for many of us, I think, is many women who've developed some kind of obsession with food almost, it was just sort of a nice, she experiences just a nice break Mm -hmm. from having to worry about food. Um, And this a particular guest hadn't had an eating disorder, so to speak. But I think many of us, especially in my age group, we did sort of grow up with a some kind of obsession around food. We were either on a diet or counting mm-hmm. calories or mm-hmm. thinking about our next meal. And there's some freedom from that, yes. I think, where you yes. just don't have to eat for a while. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how she experienced it. And I really like that idea, just like, oh, okay, I, I just don't have to think about food for 16 hours. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. To, yeah. I mean, so for a lot of us, I think food's been just a such a big part of our lives and, you know, freeing ourselves from that in some way is Mm -hmm. just opens up space to do 
more important things because <laughs> eating's important, but I mean, it's not everything. Yes, yes. And I tell my patients this. Look, we've got a few different options. Intermittent fasting is the option that is not easy, but it is so simple. Mm. My counseling to you about intermittent fasting will take us five minutes. Yeah, because, don't eat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not the end. Don't right. eat to the end. No. I have some, like I said, I have some things that I can, tools that I can help you with that. But um, it is kind of nice. It's a simple approach. There's no tracking. There's no logging. There's no, you know, nothing. There's no um, buying anything. There's no packing your lunch for work. Um, it takes that some of the work does out. does simplify some things. And then this is interesting, too. I, sometimes I realize a lot of things I've learned are not true, which is really an important part of being a doctor, I think, to be able to mm-hmm. reevaluate what mm-hmm. we learned and, and just kind of say, hey, that was wrong, like a lot of things about hormones, uh, for example. Mm-hmm. But uh, is there any truth in the time you should exercise in relation to food? For example, I had heard and sort of lived a long time with thinking that you should exercise in a fasting state mm-hmm. and then eat protein afterwards Mm -hmm. or something, some combination of that. And so a lot of people I know do this. They'll get up and exercise first thing in the morning or maybe exercise the last thing in the evening after they've eaten. Is that important or is that even true or does that help anything? Um, It depends on the person. I think it can help to exercise in a fasted state. Um, What type of exercise you're doing matters. So what's happening when you are exercising is your body is using your carbohydrate stores, actually, for the energy. So that's what you're burning typically when you're exercising. It's called glycogen. It's your sugar storage tank. That's what we're using for our workouts um, typically. So, But what's happening if you work out in the morning and you haven't eaten for 12 or greater hours, 12 plus hours, your body has used up a lot of that glycogen overnight. And so um, then you're kind of in an ideal position to where you can encourage your body to use the fat for energy because there is no glycogen to use up. And so now your body can burn up some of the fat. But I will say the caveat there is typically I don't recommend a ton of cardio um, in a fasted state because Cardio is very hard on the body, and it can release some cortisol. And if there's no glycogen to use, it's hard to pull the fat out of the energy stores very quickly. And so um, I encourage, if you're going to do a fasted state workout, do something more like strength training, which is a little bit lower um, intensity, and your heart rate's a little bit lower. And so that will allow you to have time to pull those fat stores out of energy. Um, But after a workout, yes, eating protein is important. Eating enough protein for how much muscle you have is important. Eating enough protein, depending on whether you're trying to lose weight or gain muscle, is important. All of these things matter, and it varies from person to person. But in general, I do think it's a good idea, and I don't agree with many trainers who recommend that their clients eat a banana before their workout or um, you know, make sure you um, have a hearty breakfast before your workout because we're going to do a hard workout. Well, aren't you working out to try and lose weight? Mm. So if you're just going to add calories to your day on your workout days, what are you doing for your body? You're not helping your calorie restriction at all. Um, You're just eating those calories. And so I have seen many women who have worked very closely with a trainer following their recommendations to a T. And what happens? They gained weight Mm -hmm. or they lost five pounds only, you know, in two months. Well, I think this it's so easy and I've experienced this to eat more calories than you burn exercising. And so I know there's a lot of literature about that. I think it was a book called Why We Get Fat. I can't remember the author that talked about this um, problem that many of us have where we exercise is not going to cause us to lose weight. Mm -hmm. It's really 
food intake because it's so mm -hmm. easy to eat the calories that we burned in a workout. And so I've experienced that where you go to the gym and you work out and then you kind of think, well, I deserve a treat. And then you eat twice as many calories as you just burned up. And mm -hmm. so a, a lot of times I've experienced this with my own life and patients. If you're just exercising, uh, that's probably not going to help you lose weight. It's, mm -hmm. You really got to focus on the food and then the exercise is sort of extra, mm -hmm. right? And, and sometimes it's doesn't even help. It's not even extra. It's actually um, negatively impacting your weight loss. And so the reason that happens is because if you are on um, a calorie restriction eating plan where, you know, we're intentionally setting your calories lower than how many you're burning in a day, that's encouraging your body to lose weight. But then let's say you add in exercise on top of that. So now you're burning a lot of calories, more than your body is used to, and also eating fewer calories than your body is used to. That can sometimes actually encourage the opposite of what you want. It can encourage that um, starvation mode to develop in your body where it's very resistant to weight loss. Mm. So I usually don't uh, recommend both at the beginning. So at the beginning, when patients first see me, we do work on a weight loss plan together, which is all about nutrition. Um, and so we change what they're eating, how much they're eating, what time they're eating. And then exercise can be added when we feel you're ready together. So we make that decision together. Um, and it's not that you need to eliminate all physical activity. I have many women who tell me, I can't not work out because this is where I, this is where I, you know, work through my stress. It feels good. Um, yeah. yeah. And mm -hmm. so it's not that I tell you don't work out at all, but we want to decrease the intensity of your workouts at the beginning, maybe decrease the frequency of the workouts at the beginning to allow your body to not feel so, um, nervous, essentially, that, mm -hmm. um, you know, hey, I'm all of a sudden not getting very many calories and I'm burning up a ton of calories. Let me just go ahead and clamp down on my metabolism. And then patients don't lose weight. So sometimes my um, simple advice, so what I do at the follow-up visits um, is I troubleshoot the patient's um, eating plan. Um, and, you know, so we measure their progress, obviously, at each visit. And then if they're not making progress, then we talk about, you know, well, what are you eating and, you know, how much are you exercising, et cetera. And sometimes um, all I need to advise them at a follow-up visit if they haven't been losing is, hey, cut back on the exercise. I know it sounds crazy. Cut back on the exercise. And then the weight drops. Um, I even have men who, you know, love to exercise and bodybuild. And um, same thing. I have a patient who works out twice a day. But on the weekends, I told him, don't exercise. And guess when he loses his weight? It's on those weekends. Mm -hmm. He tells me every time he looks at his weight every day and it's after his Saturday and Sunday that he has taken a rest. That's when his body finally releases the weight. So, um, you know, this is very complex um, physiology. This is why a patient can't figure it out on their own because it's counterintuitive. Aren't I supposed to eat less and move more? That's what I've been told forever. All I mean, my life. Yeah. Doesn't, that, why doesn't that work? That seems like it should work. And, and so there's so many hormones at play. Um, and so sometimes exercise is extra. Sometimes it's not. It depends on the person. I, I love that idea that rest is really sacred because it, it just is. And I see that in my practice often in just form of sleep or, or just time to rest, whether it's meditation or whatever other kind of stress-relieving activities that we do because of the cortisol-lowering aspect. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you know, we just haven't been trained to honor rest yeah. in our society. I think we've been constantly told you just got to work out more and you can just feel how that puts your body under stress. There's something beautiful about just letting the body calm down a little bit. And then once we feel we're not dying, we can start <laughs> shedding some fat because we're yeah. not in some kind of emergency situation. Um, 
So it is, exactly. it is counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. It is. And it's hard for women to let go and give themselves a break or even to put themselves first. So the first thing is if you're in my office, congratulations, because you're actually taking time to improve your health. Probably same for you, Susan, that mm-hmm. if they're coming to you, they're finally saying, you know what? enough is enough. It's time for me. You know, I've been taking care of my children or my parents or whoever it is in your life, my husband. Um, and so women don't stop because we're taught, what are the, what are the good qualities of a woman? Oh, she's nurturing. Oh, she's Mm -hmm. so compassionate. It's, you know, oh, she's a great caregiver. And so, yeah, it's hard to stop and take the time for yourself, but I absolutely agree that sometimes you do need to stop, take some rest and put yourself number one and focus on your health. For sure. That's true. So I was interested in the follow-up. So you come in, so we talked about this 90-minute visit, which is amazing. I mean, because it's, it's such a commitment in time for you and and your patients to spend 90 minutes getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And it takes that long, really, because mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. are so complex. Mm-hmm. And then you develop your plan. And then uh, how frequently would you normally see patients mm-hmm. back in the office? Yeah. Um, initially, two weeks, maybe or four weeks at the longest. And I know that doesn't seem like a long time because typically you see your doctor, what, maybe once every six months. But for me, it's really important to have that close contact. So the first visit often is um, on a short timeline because people have lots of questions. You know, I send them away with some homework and some guidance, but it doesn't end there. There's so much to teach about weight loss. There's so many tweaks that we need to make to a person's plan. And so that initial visit is really critical to follow up on what we talked about the first visit. And Um, answer any questions that the patient has. And then from there, every two to four weeks moving forward, I see my patients very frequently. I get to know them really well and I love that. I enjoy that, but I have to understand um, their lifestyle and I have to know them very well in order to help them with the weight loss. So, um, you know, some people every four weeks make sense. Um, You know, if they're really status quo or sometimes, you know, in the weight maintenance phase, I might see them every three months. But I'm still seeing patients. That's the key. That's why it's called lifelong weight loss, because I'm teaching you how to lose weight and keep it off. But it's not a, you know, magic twist of the wand that, okay, now you've lost the weight and it's going to stay off forever. Mm -hmm. You have to keep doing the work. Um, And so that's why I still like to see my patients even in the weight maintenance phase, because maintaining your weight loss is hard work too. Um, And so that requires ongoing visits as well. But um, yeah, I like to be available frequently just for troubleshooting and for accountability. That definitely is a big piece. You know, when you have me to check in with and, and ask you, Hey, your weight is up two pounds. What happened? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think we, that's so important. Uh, yeah. There's so many plans where you just get get the details and then you're sent off to do this on your own. And like you said, it's the physiology is so complex. Um, we can't do this on our own. I think it's really important to say, you know, this is something that we need help with and also mm-hmm. that you're worth it. Because mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. I ask my patients, like, how, how much money would you pay if, if I could just guarantee you that you would lose this 30 pounds or whatever it is. And they would say, God, I I would sell my car. I'd do anything if you could guarantee that I'd lose that 30 pounds. But we're actually telling you that you could do that. And it wouldn't cost you nearly as much as your car, by the way. (laughs) Uh, That was an example. But how much would you invest if you could guarantee that you would lose that 30 pounds and keep it off the rest of your life? I mean, we, we know that it's important, but still, sometimes we don't want to take that first step. And I think it was really important what you said about this kind of devaluation of our own self-worth. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I, you know, I don't want to spend $150 or something to go to a visitor because that's too much. Well, not if it's going to work. And mm-hmm. um, 
we just told you that this works 100% of the time if you do it. So we're not kidding. And I can't not even count the number of patients who've had that experience. So definitely something to think about. You are worth it. Mm-hmm. And there's no magic. It's just working hard together and having someone hold your hand through that journey, which I think is really amazing. Well, and I like what you said, too, about let someone help you. Um, one of my patients is an attorney, and she said, you know, I'm an attorney, but I didn't make my own will. I didn't, you know, um, if someone sued me tomorrow, I wouldn't represent myself. I mean, just because I'm an attorney doesn't mean I know anything about, you know, whatever I don't practice. So just because you have a body <laughs> doesn't mean you understand a lot about how it works and how weight loss works. Just because you have Google at your fingertips also doesn't mean that you can figure out how weight loss works. My patients are very intelligent women, but, um, there's so much misinformation out there and there's so much lack of knowledge. It's okay to say, hey, I can't do this on my own because I don't understand it and I don't want to do something that's wrong for my body. I don't want to you know, lose a lot of muscle mass if I'm not eating how I, I'm supposed to be or you know, whatever it is. It's okay to take a step back and let an expert advise you on that because that's the whole point is my whole practice is about this because there is no time for me to do anything else. This in itself is a full-time job. And so how can you be expected to do it if, you know, if you don't have the time or the training? So um, it is important to, you know, seek an expert's guidance. I mean, same thing even for exercise. I tell my patients, if you've never been to a gym before or if you've never lifted weights, I would recommend getting a trainer because they will show you the correct form. If you're doing exercise, but you're not doing it in the correct form, then you're not going to build the muscles. So, um, you know, sometimes we need some help and guidance. And then I have sometimes had to tell my patients, you know, I'm sorry if you have had a negative experience with another physician in terms of your weight, because many people have. Mm -hmm. They've been shamed by their physicians or their doctors tell them the same thing every year. Eat less and move more and you'll lose weight. You can do it. You know, Mm. I believe in you. Yeah, it's such useless advice, isn't it? it? Like how, but how do I do it? Yeah, right. Exactly. And so, um, you know, it, it takes a specialized, um, skill set and knowledge to be able to help you with that. And it's okay to ask for help. Yeah, it's really true. It'd be similar to us expecting you to understand everything about hormone replacement. Mm -hmm. If you went online and looked up hormone replacement, you'd see about 10 million articles. And how could anyone possibly be expected to do that? And similar to yourself, like that's all that I have time to do. I don't have time to do every other thing. So, yeah, super important. And um, don't give up just because you've been mm-hmm. invalidated in the past by mm-hmm. another physician or that you've been on diets that haven't worked because, you know, it's just absolutely true that most fad diets are appealing to this desire we have to lose weight really quickly. And they're not going to result in lifelong weight loss. This is actually a way to lose the weight you've always struggled with forever and keep it off forever, which is amazing. And I wanted to touch on one thing that you said about uh, weight loss medicines, Mm -hmm. because again, coming back to stuff that we learned and that we have to reevaluate, there was a time, you know, back in the days when fun fun Mm -hmm. was, uh, you know, caused all these problems. And so then doctors were like, oh, that's bad because it causes problems. So this isn't that, right? You're using just that one component, like Mm -hmm. the fentramine component, (laughs) which is a common appetite suppressant. And um, a lot of us have heard negative things about that. Uh, but I think you addressed those really well. It's not the stuff that you heard was terrible and will kill you, right? Um, yes. Um, I am, I always tell my patients, I am an MD. I'm meaning a medical doctor. I'm traditionally trained. But I take a holistic approach to weight loss. Um, 
However, I take a very science-based, evidence-based approach to weight loss. And so I'm not going to advise, you know, fat burner pills off of the market. We have no idea what's in those and those mm-hmm. things don't work. Um, so if you're willing to buy a fat burner from GNC and take that, but you don't want to take a prescription weight loss medicine that's FDA approved, consider what's going on there. Okay. And that that's where a lot of that, that's the bias. Mm-hmm. That's because yeah. you've heard from so many people. Oh, don't take those, you know, diet pills. They're, they're going to, yeah, maybe you'll lose weight at the time, but then you'll never be able to keep it off. Well, there's many reasons why weight loss medicines do work if you use them appropriately, but you have to use them appropriately. You can't just rely on a pill and not change your eating habits. Of course. Of course, yeah. that doesn't mm-hmm. work or you will regain the weight. And also, if you start a weight loss medicine, um, typically what I do is I will taper off of it once the patient has re- has reached their weight loss. So we don't just stop at cold turkey. And then finally, it has to be a safe medication for you. So I'm an internal medicine physician. I will evaluate all of your medications that you're taking, all of your medical history, and whether it's safe for you to be on a weight loss medicine. Fentramine is one, but that's not the only one. Um, And then I will, you know, let you know which one is safe. So there's multiple different classes of medications. And if I advise using one, then I'll tell you which one I advise and the reasons. And I always go, you know, safety first. I'm not going to um, advise you to do something just to help you lose weight if it's not going to help your health. So my number one goal for you is to be healthier. And, um, you know, cosmetics is, I think, a lot of um, motivation behind why people come and see me. But that is my number two goal for you. So my number one goal is to keep you healthier. My number two goal is to make you look better and make you feel better. And that's a really important goal for women too. Um, you know, how they look and feel makes a big impact on their mental health. But uh, but I wouldn't advise anything that's not safe. And so uh, I know, Susan, you had asked me about, you know, this new weight loss medicine on the market. Um, mm-hmm. If you're interested, I can talk about that now. Yeah. So that's always fascinating. What's new and what's coming up? What's in, in research and development? Anything that you know of? Mm-hmm. So there is some R&D but I'll tell you the new weight loss medicine that's actually approved and on the market now, FDA approved for um, anyone with a BMI above 27 with a medical condition or a BMI above 30 um, with no medical conditions. It's a medication called Wegovy. W-E-G-O-V-Y, Wegovy. Um, so it's actually already been on the market for five or six years as a medicine for patients with diabetes. So that's why I feel comfortable with it because it's not like, oh, okay, this, just, this is a brand new medicine and I'm trying it, you know, for the first time. Some people feel hesitant about that. But actually, no, we've had many, many thousands, millions of patients on this class of, of medicines for a long time, but for diabetes. So what we discovered is in patients with diabetes, they were losing weight wonderfully on this medicine. And so then we um, did some studies on people without diabetes um, and what happens to them. And they lose weight too. And their blood sugar doesn't drop. It doesn't cause any negative side effects from that way. But it works remarkably well for weight loss. And it gets back to what I was saying earlier, that it helps to rebalance the hormones that are controlling hunger and um, fullness and weight loss. And um, basically, it's an injection that you give yourself once a week, um, injectable weight loss medicine. Um, and it helps you have less hunger and cravings and feel fuller. And weight loss results are getting close to bariatric surgery, which mm. is amazing wow. that we can say that now with a medicine. So you don't have to undergo, you know, this huge surgical procedure with potential surgical complications um, like bariatric surgery, which there is a time and a place for bariatric surgery. And I will let you know if you're a better candidate for that than for medical weight loss. But this is very exciting that we can get close to those types of outcomes with using a non-invasive medication. And so again, we need to use all of the tools at our disposal to help 
patients um, get better. And uh, sometimes that involves weight loss medications. The injectables are not stimulants like fentramine, which a lot of people have heard about, but Fentramine is also a great medicine and it's really cheap. Um, you know, not everyone has insurance coverage for the injectable. So um, sometimes Fentramine is the best medicine. And so again, I'll advise you on what makes the most sense, if any medication at all. But there is just some very exciting information um, on the horizon too, some new medications on the horizon. But what we have right now on the market already we have some very good medicines that mm-hmm. can help. Oh, that's really exciting. I think so many of my patients have just felt stuck. Like they mm-hmm. really feel like they've tried everything and mm-hmm. have hit a wall so many times that they've really given up. But just uh, to let you know, this is a plan that will work if you do it. And there's all these different options to make it work for you. I just have a few minutes of your time left. I wanted to touch on this article that came out just a few days ago, actually, in the New York Times that suggested, when I read it, I I honestly felt angry. I got Mm -hmm. a lot of anger about it. I've had patients ask me. um, There was a study that came out recently that suggested that metabolism doesn't change with age, basically. That that was the study outcome. And I just felt like they were missing something. If you happen to read that article I'll just say that, you know, I'm not disagreeing with what the study found, but I think that was presented in a way that is a little bit misleading because for sure we gain weight as we get older. Mm -hmm. We see that happening. It's indisputable. Mm -hmm. We gain body fat, our muscle mass drops. We can document that in the office every single day. So if you did read that, just take it with a little grain of salt. Mm -hmm. I think RuPaul and I discussed this before we started this recording. And there's a lot of parts missing from that article, things like you know, hormonal change and thyroid function dropping and cortisol going up and just this immensely complex physiology that was rather simplified, I think, in that article. So if you felt invalidated when you read that and pissed off, I did too. So <laughs> what, what did you think? Yes, I agree. Um, yes. Take everything you read with a grain of salt. Here is the crazy thing about that article is they controlled for a variety of factors, meaning you know, sometimes in studies, if we see some sort of a correlation, we have to control for, oh, well, you know, maybe um, everyone between the age of 20 and 60 has something in common. And so we have to control for that factor. So what happened is they controlled for muscle mass. Okay. So they said, if your muscle mass is the same, then your metabolism doesn't change between 20 and 60. Well, that's crazy because as Dr. Susan just said, Your muscle mass does change. You lose muscle, especially women. Your testosterone level drops and you lose muscle mass. Your stem cells, your muscle stem cells start dying around age 40. And so you don't have any um, cells to reinvigorate your muscle mass. And so, um, of course, if your muscle mass drops, then your metabolism drops. But if you control for muscle mass, (laughs) then it's going to seem like your metabolism doesn't change. Yeah. It's, uh, that was frustrating. So, yeah. And we didn't really also, what was the point of that article? So we can yes. complain about that all day. But yeah, I'm not sure why good news always travels fast, but that one got published all over the place. And mm-hmm. I'm sure it upset a lot of people. But suffice to say, we believe you that you are getting fatter as you get yes. older and you are. And we yes. believe you. And, yes. and now you know there is a solution. So how can we find you? How can patients find you to, to get on this program that works 100% of the time? It really does <laughs> if you do it. If you do it. Yes. yes if you do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I have a website, um, lifelongweightloss.com. And um, you can uh, submit an inquiry there for an appointment, or you can give my office a call, 
1-800-273-1634. Just leave a message. We're usually seeing patients, but leave a message. I assure you we'll get back to you and get you on my schedule for an appointment. But, you know, it does take some time. And that 90-minute visit initially, too, it's also kind of to show yourself, you know, hey, I'm going to block 90 minutes out of my schedule to do this for myself. And that is so hard for many women to do, but you have to. You have to make the time for yourself. Um, But anyway, feel free to reach out to me via online or um, via the phone number. Yeah. And you are worth it. So do it. And if you come see me, I will remind you to do that. So (laughs) thank you so much. This is so much information. So interesting and mind blowing. I think it just goes to show it is so complex and this isn't something you can expect to be able to do by yourself um, unless you Mm -hmm. happen to be a Harvard trained weight loss expert, like the (laughs) woman sitting next to me. But um, yeah, reach out for help. You're worth it. You can lose the weight. Don't feel discouraged. It's possible. And I see it happen every day. Um, And I'm so glad you're able to join me. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And we can't wait to see more patients getting great results with you. Thank you so much for having me. And I have to tell y'all, Susan is such a great friend. She's such a great woman. She is a proponent of other women entrepreneurs like myself, and I appreciate it so much. Um, You know, it's just amazing to be surrounded by people who believe in you and encourage you. And we both will do that for you if you come and see us. And we do that for each other. Awesome. Thanks again. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you.